All right, church, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and to be glad in it. So would you stand with me as we sing and declare? It's more than a feeling. Relying on the Lord. Knowing He's faithful and will come through. So I will rejoice and be glad. Joy should be glad in it. This is where I believe that you are more than enough, more than enough for me. You are faithful to your promise. You are strong.
96 says, shout the news of his victory from sea to sea. Take the news of his glory to the lost, news of his wonders to one and all, for God is great and worthy of a thousand hallelujahs. Amen. Sing it out together. Who else would rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine? Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing, but this joy is mine. And with a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise, Lord Jesus. This song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand. 
mind taking a seat real quick? Hey, I just wanted to pause the service real quick to let you know about an opportunity. If you're here and you're raising children, uh, whether you're a parent or a grandparent raising, I'm looking at you, bud, uh, uh, you may want to like, uh, you, you, this is an opportunity for you to go to a class that we're going to offer to learn some skills that help you and your family. We're calling it Tending the Nest, and it's going to be led by Julie Carroll. And Julie, you want to tell us a little bit about the class? Sure. Our uh, class is going to be an eight-week session, not a lot of homework, if any, um, and we would just love to have you come and join us. We're going to be taking a look at parenting through the lens of the Bible as our foundation and attachment and the quality of our relationship with children and uh, with that trauma-informed parenting. So if any of you are parenting children from hard places, um, foster care, adoption, um, things like that, this is the place for you and we welcome you. Um, We'd love to have you with us. We're gonna, the kids are gonna have, um, it's gonna be on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in the fellowship hall. And um, the youth leaders that are caring for your kids have um, special activities. So if you're gonna come to service, second service in our class in the beginning, they got you covered with childcare. All right, so that's a good opportunity. Anyone from, if you're parenting birth through high school, should clarify that, just any minor, basically. Uh, Julie's eminently qualified to lead this class. Not only does professionally does she help families with situations, but she's also raised three incredible children um, and still raising, I would say. Um, but, you know, and that's, that's pretty good. Every family usually has one bad kid. They don't have one bad kid, you know, so she must know something. <laughs> We're not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you want to sign up for this class, after the service, there's a table in the lobby. You can sign up there. Um, we're, that's also the regular growth group sign up. I want to say though, all of our growth groups are full right now. I guess that's a good problem. Uh, yeah, but um, we are taking a waiting list. And if you are willing to host or lead a group next session, go to that table and let Lisa know, because we really need that. All right, um, with that, let's continue in worship.
those who fear Him. He hears their cries and He saves them. You unravel me like a melody, and you surround me with a song. Come on, church. Of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Let me hear you. I'm no.
morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, uh, for those who are watching online, there's something wrong with the heater today, and um, I'm wearing a jacket. Um, uh, you know, uh, we're going to get that fixed, and uh, we'd like to say around here, we're all about Jesus and the Bible, and so I know there's some important things going on this afternoon. For some of you, leave that stuff at home. Don't bring that to church, and um, we don't wear jerseys around here. We don't represent. We represent Jesus and Jesus alone. Um, <laughs> I've actually had people, I, I don't understand you, Pastor. Sometimes you say, don't bring it, don't wear your jerseys, and sometimes you wear, and then you wear a jersey. I don't know which one it is, Pastor. Which one am I supposed to do? I'm just joking. Bring your jerseys, please. Wear them. It's okay. Like if you're a Packers fan, like bring it, you know, and maybe it'll help you mourn. All right, anyway. Uh, give it up for Mason, our producer, elder extraordinaire, coming out here. Thank you. I don't want to make you guys stare at that all, all, uh, you know, message long. And so, uh, welcome. If you're online, it's not cold at all in here. And uh, we're glad that you're with us today, just having, poking some fun, having a good time. My name is David Hurtado, lead pastor here, happen to be an avid 49er fan. About the third quarter yesterday, I was sitting there trying to think, what am I going to say if we lose? Because all these people in my church love it when my team loses um, because, you know, they're Jesus lovers and everything. And so, and then all of a sudden we won. I don't have to worry about that. And uh, uh, my son and I were on a plane at 11 o'clock, got home at 2 a.m. And so if this message is bad, um, blame the 49ers. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm actually super excited about today. Um, my favorite passage in all of 1 Samuel is what we're hitting on today. Like maybe the reason I decided to go through the book of First Samuel is because of this passage today. So I'm super stoked on that. And uh, we do want to welcome you all. And if you're online, welcome to you as well. And we are just excited that you are hanging out with us. I will preface the opening illustration with I wrote it before the game last night. I know that because it says you wrote it before the game last night on my notes, and, and basically what happened last week was something that was kind of profound, a little different than normal, and that is that a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, uh, Steve Young of the 49ers, three-time Super Bowl champion, uh, he interviewed Brock Purdy, who is the present-day quarterback of the 49ers, if you don't know anything about sports. Brock Purdy, two years ago, was in college. Uh, all of a sudden, he was a third stringer. All of a sudden, he, he's uh, hitting prime time. And so they sat down together on the Steve Young podcast, and he asked him a whole bunch of questions. And I was pretty impacted by the whole thing. I mean, he just kind of drilled him and said, hey, how do you go from handling like third string to, to prime time? Uh, there's a difference of the attention that you get now that you're the starting quarterback. There's a difference in the expectations that surround you. There's a difference with the limelight that's on you. How do you manage all that? He continued, uh, how, how do you handle the whispers that you're just a quote-unquote system quarterback? You're not all that great. Uh, you just happen to be in the right system, and, and how do you do all that? How, how, you're not the quarterback as advertised. You're not as big as you know, how do you deal with the whispers that maybe you're like Joe Montana, who was another Hall of Fame quarterback, who didn't have all the measurables and the speed and all this and didn't throw a ball that was beautiful, but he just happened to, you know, be Mr. Clutch at the right time. How do you handle that? What do you do with all the comparisons of all the other QBs in the, in the playoffs right now? You know, some people are saying that you're the, the lowest of the low of all the quarterbacks that are left. And Brock Purdy mentioned them. He said, you know what? Uh, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Jordan Love, CJ Stroud, they're all amazing. They're, they're incredible quarterbacks. 
And, and I'm not them and they're not me. And my job is not to be them, my job is just to be me. And as Steve Young was kind of drilling further in this and, and asking him, how do you stay grounded? You seem like you're so calm, you're so grounded. Actually, Brock Purdy answered that one in an interesting way. He says, now this might be different, and you may not understand this, but, but if I'm a starter today and a backup tomorrow, that's okay. Um, uh, no sweat off my shoulder. I'm just here to do what God wants me to do. If God wants me to be playing, then great. If he doesn't, there's another quarterback, then that's great too, that's fine. Uh, quarterback today, football today, something else tomorrow, whatever. I'm just here on earth to serve God. He said that on this podcast. It's pretty profound. Even Steve Young is sitting there. He goes, man, I felt like maybe I should sit on the couch and talk to him about my life. Maybe he could help me. <laughs> you know, type of thing. He's 24 years old or whatever, and he seems to have so many things figured out. Now, listen, I don't usually use professional athletes as proof of a life well lived because you never know what could happen. They get arrested later on, whatever, um, those kind of things. But this is quite the opposite of what you hear in the world today. Uh, it's kind of almost counterintuitive you know, I'm not, this football thing isn't like everything to me. In fact, by the way, you can get bad press for this. See, his faith is holding him back. Uh, he, he is not going to ever be the QB that he could be uh, because he prioritizes something above football. It can come back as negative press as well, but it's so counterintuitive, so counterculture. How do I stay grounded? This is not everything to me. God can have a different plan, change it tomorrow. I'm okay with it. This is, I'm not worshiping football as my God, I'm worshiping God as my God. And I'm willing to move forward and do something else if that's what he wants. So counterintuitive, so countercultural of a response, and it makes me wonder how might life be different for all of us if we live that way too? How might life be different for all of us if we live that way too? Today we will look at the effects of a countercultural, counterintuitive life. And you might be surprised at the results. How does a counterintuitive approach in life affect us both positively and negatively? What kind of opportunities do we miss out on and, and, and what does it afford us when we live this way? What, is a, what does a countercultural life look like and what are the ramifications of living that type of life? That's what we're gonna be today. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it right now. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll be looking at the entirety of Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses one through 22 together. If you're new to the Bible, and I know there's some of you out there because we've been giving Bibles out and you never had a Bible before. If you go to the first couple pages of your Bible, there is a kind of a, a, an index there that will tell you list the, the, the books of the Bible by name and give you a page number. I would give you my page number, but everybody Bible's different depending on the size of the font and whatnot. So you can go there. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're looking at verses 1 through 22 today. We're talking about being grounded today. And uh, the overarching question is, what happens when you employ a counterintuitive approach in life? Forgive me, I was on a plane last night at 11 uh, p.m. and got home at 2 in the morning. And uh, what an awesome game. Got to take my son. It was so cool. Um, it's amazing how when you win a game like that, everybody becomes family. You know, you're in the stadium. You're hugging people that you don't know. You know, you're drunk. Who cares? <laughs> We're brothers, <laughs> you know. And so if I take some more sips, it's because of, 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 um, I'm, I'm happy. Okay. What happens when you employ a counterintuitive approach in life? The first thing we're going to see is you may forego some open doors. 
Like God may call you to forego some open doors. There may be an open door for you that even though it's open, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a door that you should walk through. Uh, that's the counterintuitive part, right? Uh, Brock, how come this isn't everything to you? Oh, because I'm living life for someone else, uh, for, for, for an ideology, for a worldview. I, I worship God, not football. That's weird. That's different. We never hear that kind of stuff. Well, they, 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 sometimes God causes you to go through a door that's unexpected. And so you may forego an open door. I want to read this. Follow along as I read uh, verses 1 through 15. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Enjedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men from the front of the wild goats' rocks. Uh, 3,000 men. Now you remember that with David is 600 men. This is a little overkill, five times the amount. Just shows you the, 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 the paranoia that's in Saul's mind. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, and uh, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yes, that is what it says, and that is what it means. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of that same cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, we will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do with him as it shall seem good to you. And then David rose and stealthily cut a corner of uh, Saul's robe, and afterwards David's heart was struck. Because he had cut the corner of Saul's robe, note this, verse 6, he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I'd love for you to highlight that, underline that, circle that. To put my hand against him, seeing that he's the what? The Lord's anointed. There is again. And so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul and Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. And afterwards, David arose and went out of the cave and called to Saul, my lord, the king. Very reverent there. Uh, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. This is the man that's trying to kill him. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you Today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is a what? The Lord's anointed. There it is a third time. Pretty significant when you have something repeated three times like that. And, and see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's nothing wrong or treasonous in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt me for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. For as the, proverb, the ancient proverb says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After who has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between you and me and see to it, plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. We'll stop there. What happens when you employ a counterintuitive approach in life? Well, you may see that God's calling you to forego an open door, an open door that maybe most people would go through. You might say, I don't think God's calling me to do that. Why not? Why are you living your life so differently? Oh, well, that's because I have a value of following the Lord and worshiping him rather than going through this open door. And that's what seems to be happening with David. 
There's an unutilized opportunity set before David. Um, it's one of my favorite passages in, in 1 Samuel. Some of it's because it's, it's pretty funny considering the circumstances of everything. Um, it, my mind works in funny ways. And so um, Saul literally has to relieve himself, and he ends up in the exact cave with David and his 600 men, according to our text. Uh, Njeti was a, uh, um, a, a mountainous area, a hillside area with many, many caves in it. Some of you have been there, because last week you showed me the pictures, which I'm so jealous. Never go to Bible lands without your pastor. That's a sin. <laughs> and pay for him, by the way, <laughs> to go with you. Anyway, so I saw a picture last week of this hillside mountain area. All these holes. It's like known for all these caves. And they weren't even necessarily like small caves. There were big caves too. Uh, in, in particular, it says that David and his 600 men were in the sheep hold, indicating that it was large enough to hold shelter for a, a, a flock of sheep. Well, they're in this cave, a rather large one. They can hold 600 people. Saul needs to relieve himself. It is what it says, and it says what it means. And so he goes in there likely without his bodyguard because you usually go and do those things in private. Anybody? Yeah, I do too. And so he's there by himself. You talk about opportunity. The 600 men are watching this, which is, anyway. So, and they're saying, David, here's your opportunity. Like, go, go, go get him. Like God said he would put him in you. Right now, you can kill him and take him out and not be in the run anymore. And you could be our king and you could live in the palace. There it is. He's not even watching. And so David runs out with a knife and you, the, the climax of the story seems to be headed towards him sticking it in his neck or stabbing him in the back and getting rid of him. But instead he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll just cut off the corner of his robe. Now people wonder, how is this, you know, how is this possible? Who knows if he took off his robe and then, you know, set it to the side. How did he not notice? I'm not going to get into the particulars of all that. But the point is he cuts off the robe and he has proof to Saul, look, I could have killed you. God put you in the place where you were so vulnerable that I could have taken you out, but I didn't do that. I didn't do that. You think of the odds when you look at that picture and you see all these caves that Saul just happened to pick the one with 600 troops and David in it. I mean, this is so clearly a God-ordained interaction. No doubt about it. David refuses to utilize the opportunity to take Saul out which is the counterintuitive response. Sorry, counterintuitive response. You would think that this is your, your time where you, you take him out and you become king. But he doesn't do that. David's men think that it's a, it's a opportunistic moment that David, that God's given David. So he takes his knife, cuts off a piece of the robe. Ironically enough, in ancient literature, ancient culture, um, when a king would divorce his wife, he would cut off the end of her, the hem of her robe. It was an indication that our marriage is over. And in irony of all ironies, what's happening here is the kingship, the kingdom, is being divorced of Saul. Saul's kingship is being divorced of him, but as we will see, it won't be at the hands of David. Now here's the profound part, and you gotta get this. He doesn't kill him, which is so counterintuitive. He takes a piece of the robe down. I know what I'll do. I'll show him, look, I'm so clear you're not trying to kill you. Can you stop trying to run after me and try to kill me? Like, can, can we figure this out? Like, I'm so not after you. I could have had you. 
And then he laments doing that. Like he, his conscience bugs him for even cutting a hem of the robe. That's, are you kidding me? You already did the kind thing and not killing him. You could have beat him up if you wanted to. But you just cut, and you know, I shouldn't even have done that. Laments it. Why? Well, the robe was a symbol of his royal authority, and that royal authority was given to him by who? God. Even though Saul's acting in atrocious ways, even though he's not handling, his character is horrible, he's doing abusive things, David, in his mind, that's still the person that the hand of God put in that role, and it's not my job to step to him. If God wants to do something about it, he can, but it's not my job to take God's place and do that. And so he laments and repents for even cutting the hem of his robe. David sees this as a premature opportunity, which is very interesting because sometimes today we go, well, that that abusive behavior uh, uh, nullifies any reverence that you might have to the office. But David doesn't see it that way. No, 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 that is God's man, even though he's acting not in God's ways. I'm gonna trust God to take him out. I'm not gonna be the reason that he's taken out. Why? Because he's the Lord's anointed. Three times do we see that. He's the Lord's anointed, and as such, it's God's responsibility to dethrone him, not mine. Now watch this now. Saul was a troubled and corrupt leader, and yet it was in God's power to take him out, not David's. He wanted to, he, he, no doubt that he's living in a cave thinking about the time that he was anointed himself. You anointed me to be king, I don't know how it's gonna happen. I'm sitting in a cave right now, And certainly he wants that promise of the kingdom. He wants that promise of that, but he will not force it. This is gonna be a God-directed activity, not a sinful disobedience activity. I'm not going to jump ahead and take a shortcut on God's plan. I'm gonna wait for God to establish it. It's gonna happen right or it's not gonna happen at all. You cannot force God's hand through disobedience and then expect things to go well for me. I I really wish you'd hear that. You cannot force God's hand through disobedience and then expect it to go well for you. You have to wait on him. But I'm really lonely and I really want somebody to love me and and I'm just gonna marry anybody, whether they believe or they don't believe. And then, okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna move in with them and we're gonna, we're gonna shack up together because I just wanna be loved and, and this promise of what God has for me, I, I, and he wants it for me. Yes, he does want it for you, but you're doing it in the wrong order. When you do it in the wrong order and expect things to go well for you, that's where you have promise. Divine providence does not equal divine mandate. Just because God has something for you that's good for you does not mean that he is mandating you to get it at any means. You need to wait on him. Wait till it happens in the appropriate way. Don't lift your hand against the Lord's anointed or the Lord's will. Well, David also restrains his 600 men from killing him as well. Not only am I not gonna kill him, you guys aren't gonna kill him either. We're not doing this. I have too much respect of human authority because that's based on my respect for divine authority. Well, wait on God and God will take care of it. Then, after all this, uh, he spares his life, stops his soldiers from taking his life. Uh, He comes back and has a conversation with Saul, and I want to read this to you again, starting in 
um, verse 9. Let's keep, go back to verse 9 together and read this part. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how God, how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not put, my, put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe. Look, I have evidence to show you I was close to you. I could have killed you. But for the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, may you know and see that there's no wrong or treasonous things in my mind or on my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life and take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you, as the ancient proverb says, out of the wickedness, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. It won't be me. After whom... The, the king of Israel has come out. After who are you coming out? Are you coming? Who, after whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, a flea? I'm so insignificant. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not any kind of uh, threat to you in your position. May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you. See it, plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. He comes with a rather rational argument. He, he's just saying, is there any chance we can just call off the hunt here? Can we find reconciliation? Can we let bygones be bygones? I'm not coming after you. If I was, I would have already taken you out and ridden, ridden myself of this problem. Can, can we just figure this out? David returns Saul's evil with his own mercy. Now, I want you to hear this. Grace is getting something uh, um, that you don't deserve. That's heaven. Mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. That's hell. Does that make sense? I do deserve hell. I'm not getting it. That's mercy. I don't deserve heaven. I'm getting it. That's grace. Here, David gives Saul mercy. <laughs> this is what you deserve, but I didn't do it for you. I'm going to return your evil with mercy. Perhaps God will take you out for doing this to me, but it won't be me. I won't do it. And he says, and I'll just leave it in the Lord's hands. Let the Lord judge. Let him be the one who deciphers this thing. I mean, I mean who am I anyway? A dead dog? A flea? Self-abasement. Let the Lord decide between us. And then he says five things. And this is very good for you. If you ever find yourself in a situation like this where you feel like you're, you're being uh, um, uh, treated in a way that's unfair and, and there's no form of recourse necessarily, do this. Let the, let the Lord be your judge. Let him decide our dispute. Let him consider my cause, number three. Let him uphold it, and in his time, let him validate and vindicate me. When I have nowhere to turn, I still have a place to turn. It's called God. I may have no power and authority in this situation, but I can say, God, you decide. You be our judge. You decide our dispute. You consider my cause and my heart motivations. You uphold it and you validate, vindicate me in your time. And, and, and David says, I'm, I'm fine being right there. I don't have to actively do the shortcut. I can just let God be God. I'll be in this situation and let God decipher this thing for us. Well, sometimes God may call us to forego an open door, even though it's wide open, not only that, but sometimes that strategy can come with mixed reviews. What happens when you employ a counterintuitive approach in life? Number one, you may 
You may forego an open door. Number two, you may receive mixed reviews for doing so. You may receive mixed reviews for doing so. You don't do the right thing based on how it's gonna help you. You do the right thing because it's right, even if you get mixed reviews, even if people don't understand, even if you get bad press. Let's look at this in uh, verses 16 through 22. It says this, as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you with evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put, you, put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? Of course not. So may the Lord reward you with good, for you have done to me this day, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. Now he's like, I'm convinced. If you could have taken that, God's gonna make you king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. I know that to be true. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul. And then Saul went home. That's pretty profound. He had 3,000 troops with him trying to take him out. He's like, I think I'm just gonna go home. And David went up to the stronghold. Saul's been a little bit up and down this whole, this whole um, um, uh, narrative. And so you can imagine David going, I think I'll stay in my stronghold and we'll see what you end up doing, Saul, but it's good that you went home today. What happens when you employ a counterintuitive approach in life? Well, you may receive mixed reviews in doing something. You're like, where in the world are you getting this mixed reviews from? Uh, I'll come back to that in a second, we'll get there. But first, we see that Paul, Saul temporarily repents and acknowledges God's favor on David's life. He weeps. He actually weeps. Gosh, how do, I, how do I say anything against what you just said, David? And here's the interesting thing. Understand that emotions can be deceiving. You can be in an emotive moment. You can have a moment of emotions and that not be a true indicator of where your heart is at. You know how you know that? where you end up going afterwards. So the reason I call this mixed reviews is because Saul's gonna end up going, he had a moment, like, a, like a, a temporary moment of sanity, not insanity, he had a temporary moment of sanity. He wept, but he's gonna go right back after going after David. And so you would go, see David, it worked, it worked. You did the right thing, Saul wept, he's sorry, he went home. But what happens when he comes back to his old character? Well, see, David, you did the wrong thing. No, it's still right. You did the right thing because it's the right thing. You don't do it based on what the effects could be. You do it because it's right. You do what's right because it's right, not because of what it's gonna afford you. Catch that? Saul asks for a commitment from David, don't harm me, I know you're gonna become king in your kingdom, make a vow to me right now that you won't harm me, you won't harm my family. Um, uh, what he doesn't know is that David's already made that similar commitment to Jonathan's son, which is Saul's house, so he's easily saying, yeah, of course. We mentioned before that uh, it's not uh, out of the ordinary, it's actually rather customary when a new king comes into power that he would take out the entire family of the previous king. Why? Because you don't want to leave any heirs to the throne that could form a coup against you. Here David says, I will not do that, I will not, I will not kill your family, and he actually, we see that in the scriptures, he ends up 
fulfilling that commitment. Um, he just won't do it. He won't do it. Well, let me get to the, the big idea, and then we'll try to apply it together. And, and that, that is this. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean that the path through it is blessed. An open door doesn't mean a blessed pathway. It can. A lot of times God opens doors for us. But you need to go back and go, okay, what's this open door to, and is that a blessed pathway? Because uh, sometimes I might have an open door that I would refuse to go to because it's not in the will of God. It's a shortcut. It's not the blessed pathway. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean that you have a blessed pathway. Let me see if I can um, apply this or, or share with you how this works in our everyday lives. And I think this gets really practical. I really do. I, I really do. And I, I want to give you kind of several little anecdotes of how this works in our lives. There may be an open door there, but I'm not going to take it. I'm going to forego it. Whether I get mixed reviews or not, I'm not going to do that because it's not the right thing to do. Uh, let me say it this way. It's when you're in a private meeting with your direct report who is thoroughly impressed with a new strategy that your division in the company is employing and employing it rather successfully. Now that strategy wasn't your idea. It came from the, the brain trust of your team. And now you are at the point where you must decide do you take credit for the origin of the strategy or highlight the individual on your team that came up with it. You see, just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. It's when you're coming to the end of your semester and one of the last two important years of your high school career, it's finals time and you happen to be sitting next to the future valedictorian for your school. Being that he or she is a valedictorian, they don't ever cheat, they don't have to, they're just brilliant. So also not accustomed to blocking their Scantron sheet, which you have at this point a great view of. And you know that should you look at that Scantron, not only could those answers be right, oh no, those answers are right. It's the valedictorian of the school. Now you must decide what you will do with your eyes. Is your character and your integrity up for sale? Will you serve the God of easy, fallacious opportunity, or will you not? You see, just because you have an open door doesn't mean that you have a blessed pathway. It's when you're doing your taxes, which we're coming to tax season pretty soon, and your tax preparer advises you that you still have some more room to claim for deduction purposes without triggering an automatic review from the IRS, without triggering one of their thresholds that would cause an automatic audit. At this point, you must decide if you'll be misrepresenting the true state of your tax deductions because of the advice of your shrewd tax person. Will you explode the loophole? Or will you be honest? Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. And finally, it's when you're on a business trip and you inadvertently cross paths with somebody who you simply cannot deny you have chemistry exchanged between the both of you. You get the impression that knowledge of or loyalty to your marriage is of no concern to this individual 
And so now the temptation is real. At this point, you must decide if you're willing to sacrifice your birthright for a bowl of stew. See, Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 25, my birthright is this pure fountain of water that God has given me and my wife and family. The bowl of stew is 15 minutes of enjoyment that'll ruin that family. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. The quick and easy way isn't always the best way. The way of honor, integrity, character often costing you something is the best way. And the question for you is, is it worth it to you to go the long route so that I can honor the Lord? Even if I get mixed reviews in the midst of it. Why aren't you shrewder? Why don't you cut the corners? You could represent these numbers better. You'd hit your quarterly goals better. Oh no, I think I'm gonna go the way of full integrity, full vulnerability, transparency, full character, and God, if he wants me to hit those goals, he'll do it the right way. But you won't find me going that way. You guys can all do it. That's fine, I'm not judging you. I'm just not gonna be a part of that. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. <laughs> what if they label you, Brock, as somebody who's not committed to the game, more committed to your God than the game? What if they label you as somebody who, if you double down and put your full focus into this game, you could be better? That's okay. Because I'm serving my God more than I'm serving this game. You know, it's interesting for those of you guys who might be new to the, this whole spiritual thing, like the spiritual road. Like, I don't, I didn't even know people thought that way. Like, they have like this physical life and they have this spiritual life and they want to grow in their everyday life and they want to grow spiritually. I don't even understand. Where does this come from? I want to let you know that the open door in life for you is to choose whatever you want. God gives you full autonomy to choose whatever you want. You can choose God or not God. He doesn't force anything on you. The open door is set before you. But the blessed pathway, the blessed pathway is to lose your life and give it to God. I don't need authority on my own life. I'm going to set it aside, give it to you, place my faith in Jesus Christ and live for someone else. Become a doulos, according to the Greek. Become a servant of God. It's the same word that can be translated slave. That's the best pathway. The blessed pathway is to say, I'm gonna subordinate myself under God. I'm gonna follow him. Even though the open doors are before me to whatever I want in this world. Do you want the blessed pathway? For those of you guys who are new to this thing, the blessed pathway is taking a step towards Jesus, believing in his life that you could never live, the perfection of a life that you could never have. The death of our Savior, his burial and his resurrection so that all of your sin, everything you've done that God would even look at questionably gets placed on the cross of Christ. And that Jesus dies for it. So the blood of Jesus cleanses you. So, so that perfection that Jesus has comes onto your account and the sin that you have goes onto his account so that because of that work you could receive the grace and mercy of God. That's the best pathway. That's the blessed pathway. 
but most people walk through the open door of society. Which will you choose? That's where you're at. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? There's so many good things in this to be applied. That's why my, first, my favorite text in all of 1 Samuel. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have a blessed pathway. What, what door is God asking you to close in your life? What door is God asking you not to walk through? I know it's there. The enemies put it wide open for you. But you're not called to walk through it. Which one is it? Which one is it for you? Would you double down in your faith and commitment and character and say, I'm walking to Jesus. I don't care how big that door is. I'm going to continue towards Jesus. And I will be blessed because that's the blessed pathway. And if you're new to this thing, would you consider for the first time placing your faith in Jesus Christ, closing all the doors of this world of your heart and saying, I'm going to open the blessed pathway to Jesus. Giving your life, losing it, so you can have another life in the life to come. Father, we love you. Uh, man, thank you for some examples in scriptures of people doing things in ways that you would never expect. They're examples to us as how you would want us to live our lives. Help us meet that expectation. Help us meet that guideline. Help us have victory in those moments that we're trying to figure out which way to turn. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You know, if you just chose to follow Jesus right now, if what Pastor David said made sense about God's pathway and following God and accepting his offer of forgiveness, uh, would you let us know what's going on? We want to be with you for that part uh, of your journey towards God. You know, there may be questions you have. Uh, maybe you don't have a Bible. If you don't, we want to give you one. If you can just go to the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side on your way out, um, there's people there who would uh, help you get started in your relationship with God. And if you're online, go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps. And there's a little form you fill out. One of our pastors will get back to you this week. All right, you know, we're doing this. Um, we're calling it a rally cry for 2024. We're calling it plus one. If you weren't here two weeks ago, I encourage you to go back online and listen to David's message that explains it. But basically, there's this thing in the lobby that says plus one, and we're asking you to write the first name of someone who is in your life, maybe a coworker, neighbor, family, friend, someone who needs Jesus, um, and pray that this year that the Lord would get through to them, um, and then look for opportunities to invite them to church. So that's what that's about. We're putting names on there. We're praying for those names. So if you haven't done that yet, just start thinking about who is it that God's put on your heart to add to that list. All right. Um, we're going to receive the offering now. This is one of the ways we worship the Lord through giving, through being obedient to what his word asks us to do in that. Um, it's how our ministries are funded here at this church. I just want to say about giving, um, if you gave in 2023, uh, last, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, you should have received an email with a statement uh, that you can use for your taxes. That uh, There's a link. You click it. You have three weeks to check that. So don't just save that email for next month when your tax appointment is. Click it, print it out, get it ready. Um, if you need one mailed to you, if you don't do email or you didn't receive it, just call the church office and have Michelle or Becky will help you get one. All right. Before we go, let's check out what's coming up next. Hi, CC. I'm Miranda Morris, and I am part of the high school ministry at CC. We meet on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. You should come check it out. 
If today is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. If it's your second time, I'm so glad you're back. If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. Also add how we can be praying for you as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the counter and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers go to campcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. The week of January 21st, growth groups begin. If you are looking for a way to connect with other people at Camp CC on a smaller scale for just eight weeks, this is an amazing way to do life together. Sign up today. Childcare is available. Email lisa at campcc.net for more info. Saturday, January 27th, 3 to 5 p.m., recipe exchange for young families. Bring your family's favorite recipes of the video venue to share, enjoy a craft, devotion, and free play. For more info, contact Chelsea at youngfamilies at camcc.net. Saturday, January 27th, join us in the Activity Center as we honor Pastor Jim Moyer's 21 years of service to the Lord and find out about his next steps in ministry. Please RSVP no later than January 19th to michelle at camcc.net. Sunday, January 28th, One Voice Worship Night. Come worship with us and several other churches as we take communion together and pray for our city as one church here at Camp CC. To stay in the loop of what is going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net. My name is Kelly Reed. I'm the worship pastor here. And I think my biggest takeaway this morning would be when using the restroom, implement the buddy system. Bring a buddy with you so that nobody's cutting your clothes or ruining them or stealing your clothes. So that's the spiritual takeaway I hope you leave with this morning. My prayer is that you would be able to close a door that the world has been open to you and that you embrace a freedom and breakthrough like never before, church. We also want to be able to pray for you. So even if there's something that has come to your mind this morning or there's something on your heart, I pray that you would come forward. We're going to have a prayer team up front. They would love to pray with you. And then grab a cup of coffee, grab a donut, and bring someone with you next week. God bless you guys.